0: It's end capping anybody's cry for help and anybody's struggles. You know, we, a lot of us are are dealing with the mental load of motherhood. And even though many partners are stepping up, it's still not equal. I agree. And then you talk about corporate work structure and lack of systematic support to help parents, uh, you know, the unaffordable childcare, these are things we actually need help with. And these are things that are probably the real reason we're struggling so much. But when we joke, oh, it just sounds like you need a glass of wine, or we imply that that's going to make everything better, it really end caps somebody's struggle. It makes light of it and essentially kind of stymies any, any sort of effort to give that person maybe some help they really need genuinely.
1: Welcome to Cut the Crap with Beth and Matt, the world's number one no-bullshit health and fitness podcast.
2: Are you ready to cut the crap with your diet and exercise, get strong as fuck, and build a healthy relationship with food? Then you've come to the right place.
1: Let's Let's go! go. If you'd like to support us in the podcast, join our Patreon where you get exclusive content, which consists of monthly workouts you can do at home or at the gym, monthly challenges that are either strength, habit, or mindset-based, and access to over 100-plus low-calorie, high-protein, family-friendly meals. These are all designed by a professional chef who is certified in nutrition. These recipes are already in MyFitnessPal for easy fucking tracking. New recipes are also added each week.
2: We believe that fitness is for everyone, so this is our way of getting you started on your health and fitness journey at a price most everyone can afford. So what the fuck are you waiting for? We'll see you in the Patreon. Hi, Celeste.
1: Yes, I'm so excited to have you. Yeah, thank you. I'm just, I'm psyched to be here. You know, my love for all things like alcohol related topics. And so this is something near and dear to my heart. So I'm very excited. I've been asked a lot if we have would have someone to talk about alcohol in the podcast. Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah, let's get right into it. If it's okay, like introduce yourselves, you know, a little bit about you. And then we'll just, you know, go from there.
0: To the shit. Yeah, sounds great. Okay. So my name is Celeste Vaughn. I am a 40, I think I'm 42, but I can't, I'm not sure. I don't do numbers. So oh. don't ever ask me about numbers. <laughs> I think I'm, I might be 43, but I can't remember. I have two kids. I live in Reno, Nevada, and I grew up in the Bay Area, a pretty generic family, but my My father was an alcoholic my whole life. And that was fine and dandy until it wasn't, as with most uh, addiction issues. He was a high-functioning alcoholic for a long time. But when he was 52, I was 15. I was in high school. uh, He had a severe stroke, and um, he was disabled from that point on. But that did not stop him. You know, he he was a go-getter through and through. And um, he struggled with alcohol his entire life. He passed away a couple of years ago, but he, ever since that day at 52, he lost uh, m- much of his cognitive functions and was living with a nurse. Like it was a very rough second half of his life. Wow. And even then he still tried to drink, you know. Uh, he ultimately was bedridden, you know, pooping in a diaper. And I think if if he still had that choice, he would have chosen to continue drinking. And you would think growing up with that, that his children wouldn't touch alcohol with a 10-foot pole. And it's funny, I have two siblings, and my older sister, she avoided alcohol her whole life. She's never touched the stuff. But I wanted to take my own route. And I decided that I was going to use this opportunity to have the upper hand and figure out how to drink in a way that was different than my dad. And I was going to do it different. Um, Mm -hmm. I saw the path he took. And I knew all the secrets to avoid that and still live my best liquored up life. And I was just fooling myself for a really long, long time and it really came to bite me in the ass after having children where you know i i like to say parenting hungover is the greatest hell on on earth
2: mhm that's one
0: yeah I, I could not do both i could not be the mom i wanted to be and still continue to drink the way i drank so i quit it'll be 5 years this december and now I talk about it. I write about it. And I'm writing a book about it that comes out next year. Love that. Yeah. Alcohol and parenting.
1: I read your blog. Um, I think it's, it was called um, Dear Husband, the Dear Husband post. Uh-huh. I need help. And yeah. that was me. I could relate to that to a have been seven years sober this past August. And parenting was really fucking rough. And my, I felt like my husband at the time was building his business. And I was at home with the kids all the time, you know, you know and I felt like I was doing everything. Like I, I needed help, but did I ask for it? No, <laughs> but still. So yeah, parenting and alcohol and the mommy wine culture. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, all these things just kind of built on top of each other to reach this breaking point for me, which ultimately is what led to my sobriety. But when I first became a mom, The mental load of motherhood, you know, which is this all encompassing emotional labor, mental labor, and physical labor that goes into parenting and is often carried by the mother, not always, but often. Mm -hmm. It's all consuming and it's exhausting and it often goes unnoticed unless something goes wrong and then everybody notices. Yeah. That was really hard. And I was not prepared for that. And me and my husband did not do any. Uh, due diligence around that I just took it on because I thought that was my job like mm-hmm. I'm the mom now this is what I'm supposed to do and that came to bite me in the ass real quick real quick and um my husband and I had to have this heart-to-heart conversation where I'm like I'm drowning like I, I can't do this I know this is how our parents did it this cannot be the way we do it Oh, and by the way, you know I'm I'm working a, a job on top of all this. Like, why is it that you get to go back to work and your life isn't completely upended, and my life is complete chaos post baby? Uh, this just doesn't seem fair. And of course, my husband's looking at me like I've been trying to help you since the day the kid was born. You just keep pushing me away. So it was just this total miscommunication and me trying to control everything that led to this spiral and uh, once we were able to kind of talk through that uh, I I think that we were able to uh, get in a better place relationship-wise but there's still emotional and invisible labor and work that goes into my job as as the mother that really led me to drink more than ever. And I started sneaking drinks in when people weren't looking and I got to a place where I was really uncomfortable with the amount I was drinking. And I can tie a lot of that back now to the mental load of motherhood and all the shit I was just trying to contain and not talk about and not say, I need some help. You know, I think it's a lot easier to just kind of rely on a crutch like alcohol than than get loud and say, I'm not going to be able to continue doing this any longer mm-hmm. this is this shit's hard what do
1: you say to
0: the thought of like you know using
1: wine or drinking as a means to relax at the end of the day being a mother in, in general
0: yeah no I think if people can do that with one drink that's good on them you know I, I say the same thing with pot you know people say well, what do you think about mom smoking pot up I don't know much about pot I don't know much about positive benefits of alcohol but if you can have one drink and that feels like enough and that doesn't leave you with a debilitating hangover the next day and you're aware of the risks that come with even moderate drinking then good on you like i i do all sorts of shit that's not good for me but (laughs) you know you gotta take the good with the bad because we only get the same way yeah you gotta pick your (laughs) poison for me like the idea of having one drink of any form of alcohol sounds just stupid and awful and crazy so that would never be me and it took me a long time to get to this place where I'm like I would rather have none because one drink ultimately makes me want to drink the whole bottle oh yeah
1: what is that saying one is not enough and yeah you know 10 is too many yeah yeah exactly it's very true the same it's like if I opened a bottle of wine I'm not having a glass like what's the point I mean
2: yeah it's just a (laughs) key
1: You know, and, and I, I would look at people, other people, like, how could you just drink one drink? Like, there's no yeah. way.
0: Nursing the drink, man, that, that gets me every time. Somebody who can just kind of have a couple sips and not finish the glass, I will look at them like they have two heads. Like, it just doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah,
2: because right. there are some people out there like that. I'm one of them. And I don't, I, I pretty much gave up drinking a couple months ago myself, but I'm not, I, you know, I feel like if I, if I had one now, I'd be fine. And I've not, you yeah. know, I'm not, I'm not addicted to it. I'm not an addict addict in that sense. So um, I feel comfortable about it, but it just doesn't serve me in, in my life anymore. And yeah, so I'm one of those people that can have that one drink and, and nurse it for a while and be fine.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think, and that's something that when I first quit drinking, I really had to have kind of this come to Jesus moment where it's like, not everybody has this urge to keep drinking once they start like I Mm -hmm. have to recognize that that's it's not unique it happens to a lot of people but it doesn't happen to everybody and I had to stop going into like this this black void of nobody can ever drink again right it's not realistic and it's not effective it's not a good conversation starter I wasn't making very many friends with that but uh, like I, I think about the people in my own life who, who can very easily have one drink, they enjoy it and that's it. They're good. And I think that's, you know, something we always need to keep in mind when it comes to alcohol, that it does serve a positive purpose for some people, despite the negative things we are learning about its health implications. And it's the same for me, you know, with some of the things I do, like I, I I love how um, Beth talks about drinking diet coke. Diet Diet coke is my thing. Like, mm-hmm. I will drink diet coke till the day I die, and mm-hmm. and I and I'm good with that. So don't tell me, you know, about how it it's got sweetener. Poisonous. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's killing me. Like, yeah. This this is the you know the the bed I choose to die on. So yeah, I try to think about it from that way. When people say, you know, I, I, I like to have my, my glass of wine. Um, I, I don't think, you know, when I think about mommy wine culture and when I describe mommy wine culture, I describe it as this narrative that jokes or implies that parents need alcohol to parent their children. And I, when I talk about it, I try to remember and I try to describe in my message that it's not the alcohol that's the problem with mommy wine culture. It is the message and the implications of saying our children are the reason we drink. And I say that as the daughter of an alcoholic, I say that as a mom who had her own drinking struggles, I think it has some really negative correlations to it. First, it's end capping anybody's cry for help and anybody's struggles. You know, we... A lot of us are are dealing with the mental load of motherhood. And even though many fathers or partners are stepping up, it's still not equal. I agree. And then you talk about corporate work structure and lack of systematic support to help parents, uh, you know, the unaffordable childcare. These are things we actually need help with. And these are things that are probably the real reason we're struggling so much but when we joke, oh, it just sounds like you need a glass of wine, or we imply that that's going to make everything better. It really encaps somebody's struggle, and it it makes light of it, and essentially kind of stymies any any sort of effort to give that person maybe some help they really need, genuinely. And then the other part that I I hate, you know, is that you know alcohol is not it, right? We know alcohol is not a healthy coping mechanism whether you're drinking one or six glasses it would be like saying my children whine mommy needs a line <laughs> you know it's like this you wouldn't say that right no right right that. and yet we've made it okay to say that about alcohol mm-hmm. we're just offering drugs to people to just get them to to relax and what they really genuinely might need is some actual support yeah um, those are some of the things I really find problematic with uh, mommy wine culture. And, you know, you see it, it's so prevalent all over social media. It's become so normalized and you can see why it's so popular. It gets tons of likes, tons of follows, but it's a very problematic message and I want to bring that to light. Um, It does not come without consequences.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Not to mention like, you know, what is the effect on the kids? You know, maybe you're not even an alcoholic mom, but the fact that you're like having booze parties for your two-year-old, right. You know, or you're even saying things like, gosh, you're, you're making mommy want to drink. You know, imagine what the, the child doesn't even know what that means, but as it you know grows older, it's like, okay. Yeah. Like my mom had to get drunk because of me.
2: Or, you know, at yeah, events <laughs> and things like that. And our parents, mom and dad, both are on the sport uh, sidelines, you know, with, uh, cup full of whatever liquor or whatever they concoction they yeah. can mix up with. No, it's just water. It's my it's an adult sippy box and things like that. You know, it's like, come on, what kind of an example are we setting here?
0: Well, and we're showing kids that as humans, we need alcohol to have fun and to function or to get through boring outings or whatever you want to call it. But as a parent, I want to teach my children the opposite. I want to teach like I, I deal with this conversation with my kids every fucking day. Like I'm bored. I'm bored How do we find ways for you to engage in healthy activity, healthy coping mechanisms that aren't relying on alcohol, but if you are showing them something very different than you're teaching them, ultimately, they're going to follow suit. That's scientifically what we've seen.
1: And, you know, as a society, we don't either make it easy for people that aren't drinkers to actually not drink because, you know, um, for example, when I quit drinking, I got into running. Well, little, little did I know that races were like the top tier for alcoholics. I'm like, yeah. they're they're giving away beers at the end of a race. I'm end. like, what is happening?
2: At a health event where we're we're, we're yeah. celebrating how how amazing the human body is, and then we're congratulating them with a, a free. You did something
0: her. really good for yourself. Here's a drink. Let's fix that. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or, <laughs> uh, you know, or, you know, yoga, wine and yoga. It's oh, literally yeah. at, anywhere you go, there's alcohol and people are, you know, so that's also difficult. And then asking for that help, the stigma around admitting that you may have a problem. That's that's tough. It is. So I think you end up hiding it even more.
0: Yeah. I, I don't think people want to go there in that conversation you know I think asking for help in and of itself is part of how we got to this situation where we are where um, you know women's drinking is at an all-time high yeah and I think that's in part because we struggle to ask for help now put on top of that now a woman with a drinking problem who got herself in this position by not being able to ask for help what is she supposed to do like she's she feels double fucked at this point
1: yeah what was your, I guess say, you know, bottom and how did you start to get help?
0: Yeah. So I I had convincers, they're called convincers leading up to it for years, probably. Little things, little moments with their that stopped me in my tracks that made me think, Oh, that's not good. You know, I remember a moment with my three year old at the time where he, I went up to get another glass of wine and he didn't understand because I had just had a glass like if I was thirsty why would I need another drink and I remember being like that sucks like I'm thinking about the memories he's forming in his mind around his mom with moments like that Um, and then I remember one time I was sitting at church I would go to church in early motherhood because they had free daycare And it was like the only time I ever got a fucking break. So I would put the kids in the kids' daycare and I would sit at church and it would be like an hour break for me from just the exhaustion of motherhood. And I remember turning in one of the prayer requests that sit in the pews in front of you. And I said, you know, I am sabotaging everything good in my life. And I remember wondering, I don't really know what I mean by that, but now I do. Now I know exactly what I meant by that. And then the last thing that I think that really got me was my three-year-old at the time was showing some signs of behavioral difficulties at school. And we were getting concerned calls from the school. He was acting out. He was uh, hitting and kicking and um he was having meltdowns. And at the time the doctor said to me, you know, there's really nothing we can do. He's three. He's not old enough for an evaluation. Uh, and I was like, you gotta give me something like, don't make me leave here without anything that we can work on. Cause I'm not just going to sit this out for a couple of years and wait and see. And he says, well, kids like this really thrive on structure and routine and a dependable environment. And I remember getting kicked in the gut and being like, I am not giving that to my child. Uh, I need to do something. It all kind of came to a head in, over Christmas one year, uh, 2017, when it was not I wasn't drinking a ton, but I was drinking like two or three nights every weekend for holiday parties. And one morning I went to work and I just broke out in a cold sweat. My heart started racing and I just immediately in my head, I thought I was having a stroke like my dad and my head just went there. Like, what if this is it? You know, like what if life as I know it is going to change and my kids no longer will have me to support them and I will become incapacitated like my father was like, it was such a moment for me, a rock bottom moment for me where I realized like I was playing Russian roulette, and I had to make a change. And um, it was a really scary day. I remember, you know, going home crying that day thinking, you know, I, I quit at adulting, like I I was given the card to go back to the kiddie table, like everything as fun as I knew it was no longer on the table. And my life was now over. And um, it took me probably a year of my sobriety and really white knuckling it and feeling like I'm just this victim uh, to see like all the positive things that came out of that year of sobriety and how much better I felt and what a better parent I was and how my relationships have improved and how I, I could do and feel things in a way that I hadn't felt in years. Just being able to trust my body again. I remember people would say, I could tell something felt off. And that's how I knew I was getting sick. And I would think to myself, what does that feel like? Cause I feel off every day and I'm never <laughs> sure if it's from a bottle of wine the night before. Or if right. I'm actually Getting sick and I can, I can actually, uh, you know, trust my intuition again. So everything changed after that. And I finally started to see the blessings of sobriety for what they were. And that's when I started to really realize that as a society, we speak about sobriety in a very condemning way. You know, sit down, shut up, go find a, a meeting somewhere and don't bother us with your problems. And that was all the more reason why I wanted to get loud about it. Because yes. that pissed me off. Yeah. And I, you know, I saw where that took my dad, you know, that wrote my dad was in and out of AA for the second half of his life, you know, drinking the entire time, just sit down, shut up, just stay out of our way and pretend like you're getting better. But don't involve us. And that that just infuriated me. Yeah, all the more reason to get loud.
1: Yes, I'm with you on that getting loud about it, because I think we should be normalizing not drinking, rather than normalizing drinking. It's like, it's ass backwards. It really,
2: it really is. is. It really is. Yeah. Especially now with so many people talking out about alcohol, which I love, and Beth's been doing this for a while. And I've recently started talking more about the dangers of just drinking in moderation. You know, they're, they're actually redefining what moderation is for alcohol right now. Anyway, you know, it used to be a few drinks a week. Now they're saying like, Hey, we probably shouldn't even be drinking that much, you know, which I love to see, see more people talking about that. But really from a health perspective, Alcohol is the third leading cause of preventable death in the United States. Like just that, that little fact alone, the first being tobacco, third, um, second being diet and exercise. So like, these are all things that we, we have direct control over.
0: Yeah. And it's pushed on us both through advertising, marketing, and through our own society. Like we are our own worst enemy here. We just push it on each other so much. You would never suspect so many people die not just from addiction, but from all the things correlated with getting drunk or, you know, even just getting inebriated enough to do something stupid. And yet, you know, here we are, you know, blaming more often than not, we're blaming the drinker and not the drink. And um, it's a very problematic message because at the root of all this, is the ethanol, right? It is the drug that is so easily accessible and available to us that it's almost hard not to go somewhere or do something without having access to it, which is yet another reason why I, I think it's really important for us to be having these conversations with our children that you know we have to stop normalizing alcohol as a part of everything we do and every way we process any sort of emotion Um, because we will just carry this on, even as we learn about the consequences of alcohol, because guess what? Alcohol is addictive. It's not like people can just quickly shut down and go, gosh, I didn't realize it was so bad for me, you know, push the off button. Um, for many of us, people like me, it's not like that. You can't just turn it around, um, especially when it's a habit or a thought pattern that we've had since childhood. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I know, Beth, uh, you would probably agree with this. Some of the biggest mistakes in your life, some of the biggest regrets in your life is alcohol was involved. I know me personally, oh, yeah. I regret in life, alcohol was definitely behind them. You know, I was definitely mm-hmm. very drunk when those things were happening.
0: Nothing good ever came about.
2: <laughs> Correct. Well,
0: And talk about ass backwards. You know, when you think about we we drink when we're happy, we drink when we're sad, we drink to celebrate, we drink to mourn. It's a depressant. So mm-hmm. It's so normalized to drink to celebrate, but it doesn't make any sense. Why are we drinking a depressant during our greatest moments and literally numbing ourselves down in the the highlights of our life? Like When when you look at it at at a high level, it's strange that we are here when it's very counterintuitive but that's just where we are. And I think it's just how it's been for a really long time. And it's pushed on us. You know, obviously the alcohol industry is a billion dollar industry. It is ingrained in everything we do. It's ingrained in everywhere we go. So it's not a coincidence and yet it is very counterintuitive.
1: Yeah. I mean, even through the pandemic, guess what was a um, called a whatever whatever you know essential. they were alcohol. essential business is alcohol. Why? Yeah. Because we have mass hysteria. Yeah,
0: the the quarantini.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the quarantini. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so me and some sober friends of mine. That's when we started the Sober Mom Squad. Was right at the start of pandemic because AA and any sort of recovery center shut down like overnight, and people who were trying to quit drinking or stay sober, had no support. So we immediately switched to kind of this virtual means of offering support to each other, which was a real disruptor, you know, in the recovery area. Because up until then, for the most part, if you wanted to go to a meeting, they were in person. And one of the things that's really, I really wanna say was so important about that is for mothers, especially mothers of young children, going to a meeting was not an easy accomplishment. It was it was hard to do. It was hard to do without standing out. You certainly couldn't be a fly in the wall because generally you would either have to find a babysitter and explain why you need a babysitter or you'd drag your kids to the meeting and being able to switch recovery virtually where you could do it from your own home in the privacy of your phone with you know, no name and no picture if you wanted and just listen, really changed the game uh, for mothers especially. And that was such an important transition. Uh, But something else I do want to say about recovery during COVID was obviously that was a really hard time, especially for mothers. You know, we saw with um, some of the Census Bureau data that mostly women- especially mothers, quit their jobs. And that that's not a coincidence. They were doing that because they had to homeschool now. And it was generally considered the mother's job, again, because either the jobs these women had were in service industry where those jobs were being shut down anyway, or um, they were not the primary breadwinners. So it made more sense for them to quit their job and stay home. So you see more mothers doing additional work, you know, going through the, the transition of either not having a job or trying to homeschool while having a job working from home. And the drinking during COVID ramped up more than ever, not to mention we're being pushed by everywhere, especially the alcohol industry um, to to drink. You know, I, I read a tweet that says basically COVID rules are airport rules. You know, If you want to drink at 9 a.m., you can. And um, I think that was kind of the mentality. Like, this is basically just do whatever the hell you want. We're all just trying to survive. If you want to drink Bloody Marys in the morning while you're homeschooling your kids, do it. And it put us in a very precarious situation. And in some cases, it did feel like the alcohol industry was the only one recognizing that mothers were really struggling. So from a marketing perspective, good on them, right? Right. (laughs) These, this audience really needs our attention right now. And nobody else was doing that, you know, mm-hmm. no, uh, nobody else was reaching out saying, Oh my God, we have put these mothers in a huge predicament. And it, it resonated, you know, for worse or worse, it did resonate with women and they saw the, the numbers spike up in droves as a result. So it was a scary time. And now we've got to get back into. Hopefully, you know, a better place where uh, we do have a lot of women, you know, going through recovery groups right now who who's drinking really spiked up during COVID and they're trying to get back into a better place in their life. But it did not do anybody any favors when it came to addiction or just rise in alcohol misuse.
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the long-term data that comes from this, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of chemical de- dependency, alcohol dependency, and mm-hmm. health impacts it has on us 5, 10, 20 years from now, you know?
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be very telling when we get that data back.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree.
1: So tell us more about the Sober Mom Squad. It sounds like something I want to be a part of. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're... Come on in. Oh
0: Can I come in? Yes. All right. Yeah. Let me hear about it. Uh so the sober mom squad started in March 2020. Mm-hmm. Me and four other women on Instagram, basically Emily Paulson, highlight radio recovery. She she's like, I see people are struggling. Like I see like the shit's going down. Who wants to do something about this? And me and a couple other women in the sober space said, Yeah, absolutely. And together we started a Free weekly meeting for anyone who identifies as a mom and who is looking to explore an alcohol free lifestyle. And those meetings were just every Wednesday, 10 a.m. And, you know, we had probably 50 or 60 people each week just joining. Just either it was a very, for me, that was the first time I've ever been in a recovery meeting at all. Because otherwise, I, I just like, where do I put my kids? I, I don't understand, you know, how this would work. And a lot of women that was their first time experience and they were either early in recovery right when the pandemic hit or they knew they had to make a change quickly and from there you know we we just kept growing bigger and stronger and Emily transitioned it into something where we have 23 meetings a week we've got you know four or five meetings a day she she put together a whole app uh, we have expert speakers coming in. I mean we have all sorts of cool groups. we've got groups for parents of neurodivergent children mm-hmm. we've got groups for women who you know uh, struggle with with eating disorders I'm one of those there, there's a huge correlation there by the way between yeah. substance abuse and eating disorders like they they go hand in hand yeah. um, so that's a common thing we hear in our group meetings. I lead, uh, each week I lead Writing for Recovery, which is a group where we uh, do writing together, either journaling or writing that they want to put out there in the world. And we have a woo-woo room where we talk about the moon cycles. I mean, like, there's everything you could ask for. <laughs> that sounds
1: really awesome.
0: It's great. And it's the only time I've been able to find a true community in recovery. You know, I didn't realize what how valuable that was. Until you don't realize how important it is until you have it, and now it's like these are some of my best friends, and um, I talk to them about everything—not just recovery, but—and these are women that I have been talking to and connecting with we, almost weekly since March of 2020. So it's—it's it's been a really great way to connect with other women because when you do quit drinking, it can be very isolating. I probably only know two people in my community of Reno, Nevada, uh, who are also sober moms, you know? So now to have a group where I can connect with sober moms from around the country three or four times a day, if I wanted, um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's very valuable because I do feel like there's something unique about sobriety and motherhood that uh, if you know, you know. Yeah. And AA is not for everybody. Right. And you know, I, I, I've never been to AA. Um, I heard really good things about it. I know a lot of my friends in recovery credit AA to saving their lives, but I had just such a hard time watching my dad go to AA while still drinking. It left such a bad taste in my mouth that I never tried it. And then when I knew I needed to quit drinking, I had you know, a one-year-old and a three-year-old at home, and I was trying to keep those secrets. I, I didn't tell anybody when I quit drinking. I just kept it real hush hush. I mean, I only told my husband and my mom, and I underplayed it big time. You know, I was like, yeah, I just really need to cut down. Uh, they didn't. They didn't know about you know the closet drinking. Uh, they didn't know any of that. So uh, for me to be like, yeah, can you watch the kids every day for the next 90 days so I right. can attend AA, would really kind of put some red flags out. And I wasn't. I wasn't mentally prepared for that. But I do feel like if Anybody who's in a recovery space now, because even AA has gone virtual. I mean, there's a much easier way for folks to find the resources and support they need without having to put all those further considerations into mind and to further, essentially, weigh down their mental load. Uh, You can just do this without all that additional burden. Yep. I like that
1: what would you say to someone that is questioning their relationship with alcohol? I get that question a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: They're like, what, what, you know, they ask me how I quit or what did you do or what can I do? I, I feel like I may have a problem, but I, they, they just don't know like which route to take.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one thing that's so amazing is there are so many different approaches now, like you mm-hmm. there's no one size fits all. And what I always tell people when they're they're looking to better understand, you know, if they need to quit drinking or if they just need to cut back is to think about from, you know, their own personality standpoint, what would work for them from a recovery standpoint or just a quitting standpoint. Are you a one day at a time person or do you need to set a goal, you know, a measurable goal? Like, do you need to do Sober October? Do you need to commit? to a program. Annie Grace has her 30 day alcohol experiment. And I always encourage people to try something like that. That's what I usually say. Give yourself a 30
1: day, 30 day challenge.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Dopamine nation was a great book that also said like, you can't even understand what kind of effects something like alcohol or sugar or game addiction is having on you until you take at least 30 days off. You can't take a two week break with this stuff. It's not going to be as effective and you won't see the true benefits. You really need to take 30 days off to have a real definitive um, understanding of how you feel and how being away from that, whatever it is, whether it's the, the dopamine high, whether it's the gaming, whatever that you were concerned with, what it feels like without it. And then you can do another evaluation. You, then you can say, how do I feel? do the pros outweigh the cons and I'm willing to keep going that kind of thing. And I think that's a great place to start. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I love
2: that. Yep. So I, what I told myself, I said, I'm not going to promise myself um, X amount of days. I said, I'm just done drinking and I'm not going to tell myself I can never have it again, you know, cause I don't believe in for myself. I know, I, I know I don't operate well that way with timelines and deadlines and I can't do this and I can't do that. So it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm just, not going to do it right, right now. I don't want it. Um, one day maybe that changes, but right now I don't need it and it doesn't serve me.
0: And so Matt, when you did that, did you, did you tell anybody or did you just say, this is my new game plan? And did you read any books or anything? Or, or did you just quit cold Turkey?
2: I just quit cold Turkey. I t- I told Beth, um, actually almost right away. I, I so I, I made this decision after I came home from a trip to Nashville and I just had horrible anxiety. And I was on my walk and I texted Beth. I was like, Beth, you know what? I said, I said, I'm done drinking. And then I, th- I just said the same thing to her. I said, I'm, I said, I'm not done drinking forever. I'm not going to tell myself that, but I'm, I'm done drinking, you know. But no, I didn't read any books or anything like that. And also just working with Beth on this podcast and, and all the content over the last year plus has really opened my eyes to a lot of things too. Diving into the health non-benefits of, of drinking and the, the impact it can help, have on us. And I just feel like I'm being a huge hypocrite if I'm out getting drunk, where where I'm preaching balance and a healthy lifestyle, because as we know, getting drunk is extremely, I mean, you know, there's no benefit of doing that. It's all bad um, for your health. So I just felt like a huge hypocrite too.
0: It blows me away how many people in the fitness industry still push drinking. Um,
2: It's amazing. It's so sad. It's so sad.
0: It is. And being inclusive of smoking, like, yeah, w- don't worry, we were not going to take your cigarettes away from you. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah.
2: what? Yeah, and that's the angle that we take too. Is like this asshole sitting here telling us diet soda is killing us, but then they have a whiskey and the, uh, literally, like, they post videos of them drinking and glorifying mm-hmm. drinking. And I'm like, fuck you, like, yeah. really? Yeah, that's what pisses me off, and that's the angle that I kind of take.
1: I mean, when you're going down the cereal aisle and you're saying this is poison right? But then you go buy a bottle of wine and get shit face on the weekend, but you're actually drinking in an actual poison, like a literal actual,
0: right. like certified <laughs> fucking poison.
1: <Yeah>.
2: Right.
0: <laughs> that makes no sense.
2: Make it make sense.
0: And yeah. yet I, I have to ask you how much pushback do you get when you are speaking to clients and you're like, Hey, if you're going to do this, right. And if you really want to achieve your goals, you're going to have to take a break from drinking. I mean, what do you say to them? And what kind of pushback do you get?
1: Um, I actually don't get too much pushback because most of the time they already know that it's an issue. I think more they want support in the way of how can I make myself feel better without having that? Because they know I'm I'm a recovering alcoholic. They usually come to me because they're struggling and they either want to limit it or get rid of it altogether. And I think a lot of it is some of them really struggle with the addiction part of it. And then some of them just kind of struggle with the act of relieving stress with it
2: and also the fear of completely upending their social life too because right. it's a social thing for them too having Fair drinks enough. with coworkers at the end of the day and then they get ostracized if they're not doing that you know I I was in the corporate environment prior to doing this full-time and it was it was an everyday thing going out for drinks for happy hour right next door you know in this lavish bar and it, it never no good ever came of it
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah there's a lot of adult peer pressure I, I get from a lot of um, clients
2: as well. They're like, and people well, literally you know. get passed over for promotions because they don't <laughs> drink and participate in social functions like that. Like, and that's bullshit.
0: I will never forget overhearing that. This was when I was still drinking, but I overheard a boss once say about someone he just interviewed. Well, she, I, she says she doesn't drink, and I just can't picture her in this environment. Right. Like he.
2: That blew me away.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Holy shit. What if she was the perfect candidate? And Mm -hmm. anyway, toxic work culture is a huge enabler. It really is. And, you know, for somebody who realizes they have a drinking problem or they're in early recovery, it can be terrifying. You know, it can be a really scary place to be because you are afraid you're going to miss a seat at the table. You're going to get passed over for promotions. Or people are going to stop including you just in in simple after work drinks, and you're gonna miss uh, being part of uh, the company culture. Um, and yet, you know, you're you're trying to do the best thing on earth for you and for your family. So it's a real catch twenty two.
2: Yeah. That corporate culture is alcohol is a big part of it. And for for men, yes, but even more so for women, because then they have the the dual edge sort of, you know, being a woman in corporate, which is already tough enough or women in the workplace, period. Then they have the burdens of jumping through hoops to try to make people like them just because they don't simply because they don't drink. They could be an amazing person and and crushing their work and super efficient and delivering results. But because they decided not to drink, they're no longer a a good fit.
0: Yeah, I think it is especially hard. You know, I was in the corporate world for 20 years. And I think I I worked so hard to go up the the corporate ladder. And once I became a mom, I felt like I went down two or three rungs, you know, all of a sudden, I'm not fun anymore, because I have to leave work on time. And I can't go to, you know, the bar for drinks. And then when I quit drinking, it was just all downhill from there like I wasn't even part of the conversation anymore and in part that was my own doing because I wasn't putting myself out there and putting myself in really uncomfortable positions like you know going out to the bar for three or four hours or going to those conferences where everyone gets shitfaced. but at the same time you know I think there was automatically kind of a label on my head like she's a family person now she's She's not a party girl anymore. Not and a team that. player.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. And and I think I, that was at the point where I was like, I think my corporate lifestyle is probably over at this point. I don't see it ever going up from here unless I can, unless I decide to, you know, become a raging alcoholic again. And then I'll keep going up. <laughs> right. Uh, right.
2: Well, we don't and want that happening.
0: <laughs> right. Well, now do you ha- you have a book coming out, right? Yeah. So I have a book coming out next uh, fall. So I still have like eight months <laughs> of uh, we're doing editing and whatnot, but the book's called It's Not About the Wine, The Loaded Truth Behind Mommy Wine Culture. It's a lot about what we talked about today, but mm-hmm. I do really delve into workplace culture. I talk about postpartum depression and the impacts of alcohol. Uh, I talk about the impact of alcohol on anxiety. I talk mm-hmm. about the correlation between eating disorders and alcohol. And then similar things we see from the alcohol industry in other uh, industries as well, such as diet and beauty industries, MLMs mm-hmm. and lean in hustle culture. Like I, I think we are getting targeted from a lot of different angles on uh, really hitting our weak spots. Or parts where we're struggling, Um, and we are we we're easy targets because we are in probably one of the hardest spots of our lives. If you're in this age of you know motherhood, post pandemic, trying to get back situated, and maybe you develop a drinking problem, you are not on top of your game, and a hard place to be. So how to how do you get yourself out of that if you have found yourself kind of caught in this really toxic drinking cycle? Yeah.
1: That's exciting. I can't wait for that to come
2: out. When your book does come out, will you be doing like a book tour and things like that? Because if so, like, we let's get you back in here in about yeah. a year from now. Oh, <laughs> I'd love
0: that. It's going to be kind of a crazy couple of months. I, I've never done anything like this. But yeah, we'll do a book tour and
2: super exciting, all
0: sorts of promotions. So thank you. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah,
1: super fun. And I'd like to talk about like eating disorders and drinking again, because That was something that I struggled with and I didn't even realize it or correlate the two until I started getting sober. And I was like, oh my fucking God, I had an eating disorder and I was like, the alcohol was like part of that. Because every time I wanted to quit drinking, I would do some fad diet shit, right? I would do um, like some like weird fasting thing for like 14 days. I would do some 30 day, whatever. And then every time I went back to drinking, I would binge even more in the drinking and then do some crazy eating. Eating and the drinking always went back to back and it was so disordered.
0: I had no idea that there was a correlation. I just thought I... I was fucked up from two different sides. Yeah. <laughs> and then right, I realized, right. Oh my God. Like light, light bulb moment. You know, yeah. Like they, they all, you know, are feeding off the same thing. Absolutely. Um, essentially. And, um, that was really fascinating to me because, you know, I spent, I struggled with bulimia for maybe 20 years, you know, so there was some extreme overlap between my substance abuse. And my bulimia. And not once, you know, in all the years I was in therapy, did anybody ever say anything about how those two are kind of trying to achieve the same angles. So that's something I try to talk about a lot too, just because I I feel like that awareness is very important, especially for the younger women who might be starting to struggle with eating disorders. It's going to be a future red flag for them, even if they've never touched alcohol at this point.
1: Yeah, it was like all about control for me for sure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then not to mention the mental health issues that were correlated with all that too, like my anxiety. I mean, it was like a shitstorm for me. Like yeah. massive depression, anxiety, issues with eating. It was like a cluster. I I was a roller coaster of emotions, crying, you know,
0: anger. Yeah. <laughs> And nobody, nobody wants to see that or hear that. No, so we, no. We drink and then, you know, people are like, you're so fun. You're such a fun drinker. That's because I'm not crying. <laughs> right, right.
1: right. I am a fucking hot mess. You have no idea. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was hoping someone would give me an intervention. I'm, I'm like, why doesn't anyone see that I am fucking out of my mind? You know, it was like, I was crying for help, but not really telling anybody that I actually needed help, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like alcohol and food can do such, I mean, they're so impactful for achieving, you know, this way of basically self-sabotaging without anybody having to know. Um, it's, such mm-hmm. a, it's a perfect way for us to kill ourselves from the inside. Yeah. Without causing a scene or making a big mess. And, um, I 100% look back on both of my issues with, with food and alcohol and realize like it was just a way to shut me up and keep me quiet. Like for a really long time for myself, like just then I'm not complaining. Then I'm not pissing people off and people seem to like me when I'm drunk and sassy and when I'm skinny, shit, people really like me when I'm skinny and it's a perfect storm.
1: Yeah, right. Fun, skinny—that's that, like your perfect person, yeah. right there, right? But inside, you're fucking dying. Not healthy. Yeah. Right.
0: Wasn't sustainable.
2: Definitely not.
1: Uh, it was so awesome talking to you. I can't believe it's like two o'clock already. That went by like
2: <laughs> that was fun. That was so fun.
1: Like, like, oh my where god. Did time go? I know, right? How can everyone find you? I know. Let's let's talk about the sober mom squad. If someone wants to, you know, come join that, how do they go about doing that?
0: Yeah, so we still have our free uh, Wednesday meeting every Wednesday, 10 a.m. Pacific. Just go to SoberMomSquad.com. Okay. Check it out. Amazing. And then if you want to find me on social media, I'm at The Ultimate Mom Challenge. And you can find me there. And then my book, if you follow me on social, I'll be sure to announce when uh, you can pre-order my my book, which will come out next September. Awesome.
1: That's very
2: Amazing. exciting.
0: Congratulations. Thank yes. You. Congrats. I'm excited. I'm re, I've got it sitting here on my computer right now. I'm rereading a mm-hmm. spell check and I want to like just throw my head against the wall. Like, it's, this is not fun. <laughs>
2: but the editing part. Yeah. I just want this out to people. Yeah. yeah. Right.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. This part's hard. Yeah. But it's been a really exciting. It's been a work in progress for sure. Like I started writing this book before the COVID pandemic and then the pandemic literally changed the entire book. I bet. Mm, yeah, I bet. A very different book than it was before and it, for the better. Like I'm really excited to share what I found out.
1: And it's called, It's Not About the Wine. Yeah. Love it. It's Not About the Wine. I'm super excited. Fall of 2023. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank, thank you, you so Celeste. much. I'm so glad you said yes and to come on. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. So I'm super excited that you are here.
0: Yeah, we should do like a, a TikTok thing together sometime too. I love you. Yeah, I'd love to. So I would absolutely, we can go live together. Yep. Let's keep in touch for sure. Okay. Sounds good. And it's so nice to meet you, Matt.
2: Likewise, Celeste. It was amazing.
0: Well, I really appreciate the time. And thank you so much for thinking of me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you thank for you. um joining us.
2: We appreciate All it. All
1: right. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode. So why not share it with a friend who needs to hear it? Send us a DM on Instagram or email us at cutthecrappod at gmail.com and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cutthecrappodcast. As always, we appreciate you and thanks for being here.